So we're starting a series called War and Peace. How appropriate, right? War and Peace, uh, the next four weeks. And you don't want to miss, you do not want to miss our our, our sermon series on War and Peace. We're going we're gonna to tackle some, some major uh, challenges um, in our lives and, and maybe even in the world. Um, some of us might get mad, some of us might not. I'm, I'm just a deliverer. I'm, I'm like FedEx or UPS. I just put the box there and you get mad however it looks. <laughs> um, but because we're going to be in the Old Testament, there's a lot of scripture to read. Are you okay with that? I feel like I can paraphrase a story, but then there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of there's just details and clues that I think you need to see in order for the whole thought to flow uh, with you. Is that okay? Are we okay with reading a lot of scripture? I mean, that's why we're in church, right? To read to read the Bible, to read scripture, right? So, so I'm going to do that, and um, I'm going to do my best to read appropriately. As you know, I struggle with the English language, um, but we're, we're going to do it, and, and let's see what happens. I'm going to read verse uh, 16 through 39 in 1 Kings chapter 18. For those of you that like to take notes or have it on your phone, uh, but as you know, always it will be on the screen. And then for the viewers at home, I think it should be on your screen as well. So many of you might know this story about Elijah. Elijah is the prophet of God. Now, prophet of the Lord in the Old Testament kind of function like a preacher does today. He, He brings the message to the people. And, and he says, but he would say, thus saith the Lord, right? And that was that was the confirmation that it came directly from, from heaven, right? And and so our confirmation is the Holy Spirit that lives in us, right? That you're testing the word, you should be testing the word, right? From your own studies and, and seeing how it lines up and all those things, right? But as you know, in the Old Testament, they didn't have the scripture. Scripture was being created at the time when the prophets would go speak to the kings. Now, the prophets, they had, they, had, um, they had access to the kings of old. And, and, and so whenever a prophet came to the kings, it was a big deal on behalf of God's um, kingdom. So that's where we are today. We're, we're, in this, we're in this situation. Elijah, the prophet of the Lord, is going to speak to King Ahab. <clears throat> now, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with King Ahab, King Ahab... Is, is the husband of Jezebel. Probably many of you have heard the name Jezebel and all that's connected with the, with the, the, the teaching of Jezebel, this controlling and manipulative and deceitful spirit that, that she has and how she overpowers uh, her husband and, and influences his life to make bad decisions, right? Not all women are like Jezebel. Someone say Amen. Women, say amen. <laughs> like, like, we're not like Jezebel. We've been delivered. And, um, <clears throat> and so what she's doing with King Ahab, I have to give you all this history or, you, or the story makes no sense. So what she's doing with King Ahab is when, when the kingdom of Israel had split, there's a northern kingdom and then a southern kingdom, and King Ahab is king of the northern sector of, of the region. And she went through with Ahab to convince all the people of Israel to begin to worship foreign gods. That's, that, wa- 
was her campaign. That was her mission, that I'm going to get these people that worship God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's how they refer to Yahweh, so that they, they can make connection to which God they're worshiping. And so um, <clears throat> that's that was their, their whole job as, as rulers, is to get the kingdoms to worship other gods. And a particular god named Baal. Now, Baal is the god of rain and storm. And so what happens is rain and storm, the god of, hey, some of you might call him Thor, but uh, he's the god of thunder, right? He's the god, not Thor, but Baal. Baal is the god of thunder, god of rain, god of storms. And, um, and so the first part of 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 17, God brings a drought, a three-year drought over the land so that there's, there's no rain anywhere for three years. Can you imagine? Laredo already is short on rain, but could you imagine if we had no rain for three years? My goodness. And why does God do that? He does it to show supremacy over Baal. So the people of Israel are like, we're going to worship Baal now. We're not going to worship you anymore, God. And, and, and so because he's the God of rain, uh, the God of thunder, the God of, of storms, God says, all right, I'm going to show you who the real God is. I'm going to shut the heavens, and there's going to be no rain. There's going to be no water, nothing, not even dew from the ground, nothing. And then we pick up the story here. Yes? Okay. All that, I took 10 minutes. No, you can't start me yet. You got to reset that clock. I'm about to start. You can't start my preaching until it's like, I start to preach, not even reading. They want to shorten my preaching time. They do it to me all the time. They say, you got to be done in 30 minutes. Can we do it? Let's see. So let's, let's go. Um, verse 16. So Obadiah, another prophet of the Lord, went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Right, because he shut the rain and shut the heavens. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. But you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mar Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If God is, if Lord, excuse me, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophet left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but don't set it on fire. I will prepare the other bull and put it on wood and not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I'll call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what? What you say is good. We agree with this. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose, for, choose one of the bulls and prepare it. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not let light the fire. So they took the bull given to them and prepared it. They called on the name of Baal from morning to noon. Baal answered that. Baal 
answers, excuse me, Bell, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is asleep and must be awakened. He's mocking them at this point. It's interesting. It's kind of comical, right? So then he, they shouted louder. They listened. And they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until their blood flowed. Mid, midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord and dug a huge trench in a large enough, a large enough to, to have, excuse me, to hold two seeds of seeds. It's like, a, it's like a basket of seeds. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. And then, it, then again, do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it a third time. The water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. This is amazing. This is an amazing story. I don't know if you've ever studied the, the, the book of Kings. But it's amazing what God does. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, which is Jacob. His name was turned to Israel. Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Isn't that amazing? That one phrase, that God's turning their hearts again back to him, even though they abandoned him, even though they, they have said all these things about God, he's like, I'm going to do this so that it will woo my people back. Then, the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. My goodness. I love that story. He's God. And He had to prove Himself. Oh, there's so much to unpack here. And I, I hope that we did it because we have communion too, right, Pastor Greg? You're going to come and take communion with us. So, so we have to get done in enough time. So the title of the, of, of the series is War and Peace. And the title of my thoughts this morning is called Standing Against Evil. Standing Against Evil. How many of you know that? My goodness, there, there's so much evil right now taking place. It's been taking place forever, but now that we have this technology and everyone's interlocked together through networks, we we see it. We see we see all the evil. We see the the police brutality. We see the rioting and the looting. We see all the evil that's going on. We see we see what's going on around the world. There's so much evil going on. Someone has to stand up. Someone has to stand up. Someone has to say Black Lives Matter. Someone has to say our African-American people and their culture matter to us. Someone has to say it. I, 
Laredo, we're tucked in that nice little corner where we are isolated from a lot of things in this world. But, but I'm telling you, it's, it's time for us to just say enough's enough. The church has to be the church. And people go, well, you know what? All lives matter. Yeah, I, I agree with you, but that's not the issue here. <laughs> it's like when people tell me that, I remind them of the story of Jesus and the 99. Jesus left the 99 to go find the one. You know, whenever there's pain and hurt and suffering, Jesus is in the midst of that. He's in the midst of it. The church needs to just get a hold of the Holy Spirit and let the anointing that flows through us bring some radical change into this world. It's crazy. Y'all have heard it. Y'all have heard it before. Like, well, I'm, I'm part of the people that say all lives matter. Well... I, I appreciate that. I appreciate both spectrums of, of, of this argument. But you've, you've, heard, you've heard the illustration before, right? You've heard the illustration when your wife comes to you and says, hey, do you love me? And, and the husband says, well, yeah, I love everybody. No, but do you love me? Well, yeah, I love everybody. Everybody matters. Everybody deserves my love. It's the same issue. black brothers and sisters are being abused and it's enough it's enough our, our police officers are being abused and it's enough it's enough someone has to stand up against evil someone does you're like I can, I can feel it pastor you know that the pulpit is not made for political issues well listen if, if you think that's the case then stop reading your Bible because Jesus was in the midst of political fire left and right and all he did was deal with political issues and those that were in charge those that had influence he would he, he would he would call them on the carpet they're always trying to they're always trying to to trap Jesus with political issues like do you pay taxes? <laughs> right? All right. Y'all ready for the sermon? It's going to be a doozy. Let's see. Let's see. I hope no one leaves. I hope no one logs off. I hope they stay long enough to, to hear what the Lord has to say through this, through this, through this word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your, your, your Holy Spirit that guides us and directs us, God. Lord, I pray that as we, as we unpack this in the next few moments, Lord, that there is a, there's a radical, righteous indignation that rises up in the hearts of your people. God, that someone has to stand up against evil. Someone has to look the world in the eye and say wrong is wrong. Someone, Lord God, has to be willing, willing to be rejected, isolated, willing to even lose their life for the fact that evil is present. Elijah did just that. He was that person. He was, he was courageous and, and brave because of your spirit. He faced 850 prophets. He stood up against evil. God, I pray that we, we will not be intimidated by the philosophies of this world, but we would stand and we would speak truth and speak your word. Speak your word of hope and healing and power.
power and anointing. Give me wisdom. In your holy name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. The world we live in is in a cycle of evil that, that can, can I, I'm going to give you a lot of, a lot of challenging things before we get to the hope and the peace. So stay to the end because there's hope and peace at the end. Uh, but I have to unpack this for us and let us see the reality of where we are as a world. Listen, we are in a cycle of evil. We're in a cycle of evil and it's not going to stop until Jesus splits the sky open. It's not going to stop until Jesus comes back for his people. The, the, the news is filled with horrible headlines, horrible headlines. Media, social media feeds are filled with grotesque videos of people hurting one another. I, have you read the headlines? I give you two right now. Have you read that China is invading India? Are you aware of that? Are you aware that China has, has, has marched its troops towards the Himalayan uh, border? That's a big deal if you're not paying attention to what's happening around the world. Are you, you know, the, the looting that people have done, it's cost business owners and, and, and entrepreneurs over $400 million. These are headlines that are, that, are, that are just feeding, that are running through your feeds and it's so normal to us, we probably don't even stop to read them. Our world is collapsing. The world is a mess. And however, however a mess it is, this is not a new state of affairs for us. It's not. If you start reading world history and you start looking at even just American history, there's a lot of stuff that has happened in the time of humanity uh, that, that evil has entered the world since, since Adam and Eve had disobeyed God. The world has been on a downhill slope to destruction. Humanity has been hating one another since Cain killed his brother Abel out of jealousy and we're still killing one another because of jealousy and envy and hatred and racism. We are hurting one another and all kinds of political groups are using these 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 evil acts to politicize their agenda rather than pausing for a moment to correct the issue rather than getting together the 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 the, the wisest among us right because we have we have smart people in the world rather than just sitting in a room and figuring out how we can live with each other harmoniously we use our put these political issues to to gain our vote to gain their votes it's sickening but someone has to stand up. For me this morning, it doesn't matter what political arena you stand for, whether Republican, Democrat, left wing, right wing, it does not matter. What matters is that, that we have a human issue, not a political issue. I, I think we need to recognize that. We need to recognize that it's not about political parties. It's about the human heart. It's about the condition that we are living in. It's about the problems in our heart which is called sin. Every human has the capacity to do great evil. Even, even if we don't want to, even if it's not premeditated, there is the capacity in our hearts to do great evil. And we need to recognize that, we need to realize that, and, and, and we need to own it. By the Holy Spirit, if he doesn't check us, if, he does, if he's not the default in our heart, then we are going to 
culture can rule and greed and lust can have its way. We're going to operate in the arena where selfishness is going to, going to govern my life. My personal ambitions and my personal agenda is going to rule over others. But if you operate in the spirit, you're going to keep others first. And you're going to, you're going to have the heart of the Holy Spirit and the heart of God to do what is right. There's a difference. You see, when you look at it from that point of view, it's not Republican or Democrat. It's a human issue. And I think we're missing the mark all over the world because we're all over America because, because we're trying to, to politicize it and the Republicans are doing one thing and, and, and then the Democrats are doing another thing and our president is being foolish with his words. You know, th things are just happening all over the place. Romans 1, 24 says, God gave them over to their sinful desires. Did you know there's a point in our life when we don't want to obey God, when we don't want to do what God has called us to do? The Bible says he releases you. It's a scary position to be. It's when the Holy Spirit no longer checks you. And, and Paul writes to the church of Rome, he says, he says this, this happens because of idolatry. It happens because humans have worship created things rather than the creator and so because of that God he's wooing them and he's doing everything he can to bring you back but when you and I decide that we no longer want to honor God and worship God he says fine have it your way and those of you that have raised children you completely understand that phrase I released my son I released my daughter I've done everything I can to help them I've done everything I can to, to give them a path of success I've done everything I can to make sure that they've been, they've been raised in the proper way but it is now up to them they have to make their choices they have to make their decisions and as a parent you're like I can't force them there you go. That's what God's doing. He's released. He did it in the time of Paul. He's doing it in our time. We have people in authority abusing powers. We have people rioting and looting. And, 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 and we say, that's the problem? No, the problem is the human heart, the condition of the human heart. That's the problem. Listen, our problems don't start nor stop with Black Lives Matter. It doesn't. It goes beyond that problem. That's a symptom. There, there, there's a... There's a there's a root issue here. Let, let's look at other problems that are in the world that has been that has been overshadowed because of our of our, our black brothers and sisters that have been abused for years. Uh, problems like abortion, abortion, where we're killing babies. We, we're we're killing babies because because we don't want to we don't want to take responsibility for them or for whatever reason they are. The sanctity of marriage. Listen, every every marriage that that, that every person that gets married these days, fifty percent of them end in divorce. There's no sanctity of marriage anymore. The problem of LGBTQ, the problem of Im immigration, the problem of children's sex rings, the problem of human human trafficking, the pornography problem, the problem of education and the lack of it, and how how poorly it is in America. The problem of corrupt government, and the list goes on and on and on. There's evil in the world. 
from the looks of it, things aren't changing. They seem like they're getting worse. Did I just sap the air out of here? It's like, I mean, with all this being said, you might not believe this, but I do. There's still hope. There's still hope. Believe it or not, there's still hope. There's hope that people can change. There's hope that we as a nation can radically run back to God. We see it in the in, in, in this story with Elijah that God does this miraculous thing to turn the hearts back to him. There's hope that God can do something radical and great that America runs back to God. There's hope that the world can run back to God. I believe that. If you believe that God is greater than any problem, any situation that you're facing, then there's hope. Listen, we can't legislate morality. We can't put into law that someone has to love you, that someone has to treat you this way. That's never going to work. As you see, it's not working now. You must be born again. The way our hearts change, the way our lives get transformed is when the Holy Spirit comes in us and we begin to think like Jesus. We begin to act like Jesus. We begin to be Jesus on this earth. There's a transformation that happens and it's not legislated by laws, but it is by the love of God that transforms us. There's hope. We can do this. Oh, come on, church. You got to buy into this. If we can't buy into it here, listen, the world's not going to buy into what you have. You have to buy into the fact, and and, and maybe buy in's a bad term, right, because we're not gambling. You have to believe. You have to believe. Your faith has to engage with the idea that God is greater. He's bigger than what you are facing, what I am facing. Jeremiah says this in the 17th chapter. He says, listen, our hearts, they're deceitful above all things. They are. They're beyond cure. He says, who can understand it? Who can understand our hearts? We, without God, we are messed up people. I'm going to say that again. Without God, we are messed up people without God I, I, I would have already punched some of you you're like is he kidding I don't know is he, is he kidding I mean seriously the Holy Spirit has checked my heart so many times like is this person serious right now like are they doing this don't, don't act like you've never thought that. Like, I wonder, right in the middle of their conversation, I just, like, did a quick throat chop. Like, what would that do? Like, what would that do? What, what would be the response of that? My children have been saved because of the Holy Spirit in my life. Some of you act like you're raising angels. Yeah. God, we're a mess. We're 
we're selfish, we're greedy, we, lust rules our life, we go after power and prestige and passion, we chase mammon. I mean, it is God that, that corrects us, that redirects us. It's, it's the Holy Spirit that, that brings conviction into our life. Listen, Elijah lived in a similar world like ours. And there was hope for those people, so there's hope for us. There's hope for us. And, and, and the story, his story is just like our story today. Everyone wants to do their own thing. Live life in their own eyes. Be wise in their own eyes. He says, in their day, people like to waver. Elijah called them out for their indecisiveness. He says, why do you waver between two opinions? How long will you waver? How long will you be indecisive? Will you serve God or will you serve Baal? The same issue we have today. It's the same challenge that we have today. Is that, am I going to serve God or am I going to serve myself? If Baal has been replaced with self. Am I going to serve what I want or am I going to do what God wants? How long am I going to waver between two opinions? Because we, to be honest with ourselves, this question is surprisingly relevant to our lives today. We've wrestled. We've wrestled with the very existence of God. Even those of us that have walked with God for years, it's like, God, is this real anymore? And like, like I don't know. I, I keep moving forward and keep trusting you, but truly, God, is this real anymore? If you've never had this conflict with God, then, then I... We need to talk because because I, I might be doing something wrong. I've been preaching for over 20 years, and there's times when I'm looking towards the heavens, and I'm going, God, like seriously. I mean, I've I've wrestled with 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 the idea that that throwing in the white towel, like like I just don't want to do this anymore. I mean, I don't, I don't want to live life. I don't I don't want to be a husband. I don't want to be a father. I don't want to be a preacher. I don't want to I don't want to counsel another soul. I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to stop. I just want to take the towel and go there. There it is, Lord. Take it. I'm done. I mean, am I the only one that has ever wrestled with that? Because, because that's what happens when, 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 when we are surrounded by the evil. It's like, oh my goodness, I feel like Hosea. Like, how much longer, God, are you going to let this evil go? How much longer is the injustice going to be before our eyes? And God just comes back with this, this crazy answer. Oh, you haven't seen anything yet. There's, there's more to come. I'm going to release the Babylonians. And they're a wretched, they're a reckless people. They're, they're just going to come in and wreak havoc. I'm like, oh my goodness, Lord. No. We've wrestled with the thoughts that, that is it worth it anymore? Is it worth it? We've wrestled with the thought does, does God love? Does he love me? I mean, if God's really loved, then God, why is all this happening all over the world? We've wavered. And in, and in our inquiries, we momentarily lean our hearts towards things that, that we feel will make us happy or, or maybe even silence the agony in our spiritual de deflation. 
If I can just silence this agony and this, this spiritual wrestling that I have, then, then I'm going to go after that because that's going to make me feel good. Whatever it might be, it, it, it might be things that, that we want to chase, that our hearts are leaning towards. See, when we give our hearts to something or someone else besides God, the Bible calls it idolatry. And for us to really understand the Old Testament at a deep level, we have to have a working knowledge. We need to know how God views idolatry. So there's three things I want, I want to teach you this morning. There's a choice. There's always a choice. And there's a challenge. And there's a contest. You, you need to know one of the greatest gifts heaven has ever given you is the ability to choose. In spite of all the wrestlings that we might have, whether God truly exists, whether his word is his word, whether I want to quit, like you have choices. I have choices. I have choices to make. I can decide whether I'm going to worship an idol myself or the things that I put above God, I can decide that. I can make that choice. Or, or I can choose to worship God. The choice is mine. Exodus 20 says this, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He's a jealous guy. He wants us alone. The command that the Lord gives Moses is that, is that they're not to have any idol. They're not to create anything with their hands and worship it. That, that, that unpacks a lot of stuff in our life, but, but we don't have time to, to go through it. I, I want you to know that he, here's a working definition. It's just working. It's at the, it's at the tip of the iceberg. You need to go deeper. Uh, and, and the working definition of idolatry is anything in your life that has priority over God. It's simple, but it works. Anything in your life that has priority over God is idolatry. It's idolatry. Anything that supersedes your love for God, anything that causes you to waver between two opinions would be the idolatry of your heart. And, and in the Bible time, it was, it was images formed out of wood, out of gold, out of silver that they bowed down to. In our time, it's a little bit more sophisticated. It's our careers. It's, it's our education. It's, it's our relationships. It's our reputation. It's ourselves. Anything can be an idol. Anything that usurps God's position in your life. If our hearts put it first, then it's an idol. Here's the thing. We get to choose. We get to choose. Do I want to serve God or do I want to serve my idol, the things I love most in this world? We decide. Joshua 24 says this. He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. 
Throw away the gods of your ancestors. Worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Choose whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the god of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But, and he makes this decision, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Elijah echoes the words of Joshua. And he says, he says, choose. Why are you wavering? Decide. Is God God? Then serve him. If Baal's God, then serve him. And I'm here to challenge you today is that where are you at in your choosing? Are, are you leaning towards the things that, 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 that satisfy you, that gratify your heart, the pleasures of this world? Or are you leaning towards what God has for you? Are you leaning towards being obedient and being what God wants in your life? Here's the danger about idolatry. It seems harmless and inconsequential. It's like, what does it matter that, that I can love God in this other thing at the same time? Idolatry is dangerous to the heart because, because it's so subtle and it, it goes undetected from our own inventory. When you sit down to inventory your life, you're most likely not going to discover your idolatry unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. But other people, you need to listen to what other people say, how your behavior is, what you're chasing, the things that you have allowed in your life. When other people point that out, it's not, it's instead of taking it critically and taking it in, in, a, in a very victimized attitude, stop. Listen and go, what are they pointing out in my life? Because idolatry is subtle. It'll hide itself. You won't see that money means so much to you until someone says, man, you know what? I noticed that you really like the mighty dollar. Like I noticed that, that you're not very generous in, in your Christian journey. And most of us get offended rather than get checked. Are, you, are, you, are we okay? Yes, no? There's a choice. You have to make it. Elijah told him that day, choose. Here's the second thing, is the challenge. And, and what really stinks sometimes is that life in itself has enough challenges. Why do I have to go engage in some other challenge? Why do I have to involve my life in standing up for what's righteous and what's, and what's holy and what's pure? Well, because God's called you to. God's called us to. You see, the biblical approach to challenges is the Bible says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kind. Wait, that's, that's the idea. That's the approach to challenges in the world is, listen, we're always going to have challenges. Jesus says every day has its own challenges. We're going to face challenges. And, and we need to be, we need to have the attitude that, you know what, I'm just going to take one day at a time. I'm going to take one step at a time. And the joy of the Lord is going to get me through these challenges. Elijah's challenge was to 
trust God and obey God. Think about this. He summons 400, 450 prophets of Baal. He summons 400 prophets of Asherah. And, and, and now he's facing 850 prophets. 850 people gathered in one spot. And there's one man. Like, I don't know. I, I, you know, that's a little intimidating to me. It's a little intimidating to be the one person that's, that's going to confront all these people. And they could have killed him. Could have taken his life. But that's, that was his challenge to obey God. God said, listen, let's, let's, let's do this. And then he tells them the instructions. And, and so what's even cooler, if you didn't pick up the details in the story, which I challenge you to go back and, and inspect it some more, is, is Elijah put water on God's sacrifice and he didn't put water on their sacrifice. All the more, like, how is this, how is this sacrifice that's drenched in water? It was like a deluge almost, just poured over it, and fire from heaven consumes this sacrifice. It was a challenge for Elijah. There's, there's a challenge for Israel in this story. The challenge was to remain faithful to God. You see it early on in the story when Ahab goes, listen, you, you, you're the troubler of Israel. He's like, no, you troubled Israel when you caused these people to abandon God. The challenge was to remain faithful. We have to remain faithful. We have to pick up the challenge. We have to stand in the gap. We have to make the right choices. We have to do everything that God has called us to do. Listen, Galatians 6, 9 says this. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those that belong to the family of God. We are called to do good to all people, whether they believe like us or not, whether they're in the same, the same atmosphere as far as worldviews or not. We're called to do good to all people, especially the people of God. Paul says to the church of Corinth, he continues, he says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain, not in vain. We, we're called to do good, we're called to, to stand in the gap, we're called to help those that need help. We're called to love our enemy, to give them water, to feed them, to clothe them. That's what we're called to do. And the church needs to do it. We, we need to step into this challenge, the challenge that, that we trust God and the challenge that, that he's going to protect us and give us what we need so that we can help others. The challenge to serve him and, 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 and to denounce our idols in our lives because it's an everyday thing that we have to wrestle with. Elijah took the challenge and he stood up against evil. He stood up against the, 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 the hatred towards God, not only from King Ahab, who could have taken his life, who commands an army, but the 
850 prophets that stood before him and the children of Israel that had already abandoned God. He is a solo man. He's standing alone and he decided to do what is right. And because he does, what does God do? God sends fire. He sends fire to consume. And you're like, well, that works great for Elijah, pastor, because that was in his day. Like, like I haven't seen God send fire from heaven in a very long time or ever. Right? It's like, it's like, how does that relate to me? Because God's sending fire for Elijah's, Elijah's behalf, but what is he doing for me? And, and I'm glad that you asked that question because I think there's a two-part answer to that question. And the two-part answer is, is that Jesus is the fire from heaven that was sent. He's the fire. What does he tell John the Baptist? He says, listen, listen, uh, you baptize with water of repentance, but I'm going to baptize you with fire. Right? The Holy Spirit that comes. Well, the Holy Spirit could never come unless Jesus came first and then ascends to the heavens, right? If you read the scriptures appropriately, so Jesus is here. Listen, he's the fire that, that comes from heaven to consume our life. So it's a two-part answer. Like, how does God consume my life? How does he do this? Well, I think we find the answer in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. It says they triumphed over him. That's the enemy, right? That's the devil. That's Lucifer. That's Satan. That's the great dragon. Whatever name you want to give him, the great accuser, right? Listen, the murderer, the thief, the liar, whatever you want to call him, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. I, I think that, that that's the answer to our challenge, that you're going to overcome. You're going to overcome the, the ideology of this world. You're going to overcome the philosophy of this world by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony because no one can take away your testimony. No one can take away your faith. No one can take away what God has done in you and through you. It is your testimony and you connect it with the blood of the lamb, you become a force to be reckoned with. You become an individual that does not stand alone but stands with heaven's army. You become an individual that's not speaking your words but you're speaking the words of the living God. You become an individual that's now connected with something that's beyond you, something that's beyond any human in this world. And God, listen, he says our weapons are not of this world, but they are spiritual. They are mighty for tearing down strongholds. My goodness, it's by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. I don't know what you're thankful for today, but I'm thankful for the blood. I'm thankful for the blood and what it does in my life. I'm thankful for, I'm thankful for the blood and how it washed me clean. Come on, church. Where were you when the blood found you? Think about that moment. Think about that day when the blood found you. Where were you? What were you doing? How was your life? How wretched were you? And then the blood changes everything. Oh my goodness, I thank him for the blood. The blood of Jesus. The blood that can transform hatred into love. The blood that can transform wickedness into righteousness. The blood that can transform foolishness into wisdom. The blood that transforms our life. That transforms rebellion into, into holiness. It's the blood. That's the challenge. And you gotta you gotta be willing to walk in the blood. There's 
three. We need communion. You ready? Almost. My goodness. The contest. Can I, can I just tell you? Worship team, they should be, you guys should be on stage already. There's a contest and it's orchestrated by God and God alone. And the contest is who's to see who is God. I, I love I love that part where it says, and I read it to you, it says that God he does this to turn the hearts back to him. I mean, he, he goes to great extremes to turn the heart of humanity back to him. He did in the Old Testament, and he's still doing it today. He's going to great extremes to turn his heart, turn the heart back to him. Some of us are looking at this and we're going, oh, all this evil in the world. But listen, God He's on the throne and he's still in control. He can take this wretchedness and this wickedness and this rebellion and everything that's happening and he can use it to bring the heart of America back to him, to bring the heart of the world back to him. Just where are the people of God to stand up and show love? Not hatred. Not pick a side. We're not picking a side, church. We're not saying we're Republican or Democrat. We're saying we are the human race and we stand for God and God alone and we are going to do what he's called us to do and we're going to stand against evil. That, that's, that's, the, that's the purpose of the church is, 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 to, is to introduce the, the, the power and the anointing of God into the world and, and he goes to great measures my goodness. Jesus, he's the fire that comes. Are we ready? Can, can, can y'all just, can y'all just stand with me and I'll, I'll do, I'll just do the communion that way, that way we can finish. But I, I need you to hear this. I need you to see this because this is the hope. This is the peace. We dealt with the war. We dealt with the struggle. We dealt with the, the, the wickedness and the evilness, but, but you need to see the peace, the peace that, that comes from heaven. You need to know that the contest was no contest at all. It wasn't God trying to trying to show show the world that that he that he is God because he is God. He was showing the people, this is who I am. There's no contest with God against evil, against Satan, against the fallen angels. Not even close. And there's still no contest. When Jesus comes, he's the fire from heaven, right? He's the one that now stands against the prophets of this world, the wicked prophets, the evil prophets. He's the one that's standing against the political arenas of this world. And I love Revelation. It says, it says, Revelation 1, 5 says, and from Jesus whom is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Revelation 1.8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who was, who is to come, 
the Lord Almighty. And then Revelation 5, John builds this up and he's like, he's like, he looks into the throne room and there's no one worthy to take the scroll of God and to open and break the seal. And he says, then I looked and I heard a voice among uh, a voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. These are the angelic hosts of heaven. And he says, they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and worthy and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and on the, and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever. My goodness. Listen, the contest is no, Jesus wins. He wins. Revelation tells us if we believe God's word, Jesus wins. I love Revelation 21 says, and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there were no longer a sea. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven. And God prepared a bride beautifully dressed for her, for herself, for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. He said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. To the thirsty, I'll give water without cost. Are you thirsty today? Are, are you seeing how, how Jesus facing the world is no contest? Just like Elijah facing the prophets of Baal, it was no contest. What does that mean? What are you telling me, Pastor? I'm telling you this. You need to, you need to choose a spiritual side. Forget about a political side. And forget about a political agenda. But you need to choose a spiritual side. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve idols. You're either going to worship the Lord of Lords or you're going to worship yourself and the things that your heart wants to do. You're either going to say God is God or Baal is God. You're either going to be like Joshua and say, you choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You need to choose what spiritual side you're on because the book of Revelation is very clear. Jesus is coming and he's coming for a beautiful bride. He's coming for his people. He's coming for those that were not afraid to make a choice and take a stand against evil. He's coming for those that have resolved in their heart that no matter what happens in this world, I will not forsake my Lord and Savior. No matter what goes on, Jesus is my, is my Lord and my King. You have to decide. Oh my goodness. What a perfect day for communion. Come on, lead us in prayer. Lead us in worship.
that people come to for prayer because they know that the righteous prayer of a the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. <laughs> come on. They're going to come to you not because you're crazy and you're this, you're this Bible thumper. They're going to come to you because you have wisdom from heaven. Big difference. Big difference. They're not going to come to you because you show this tremendous hatred towards one political party or another. No, they're going to come to you because you show this great love. For, for your enemy. You showed this great love for humanity. You showed this great love for God and for people. Church, we can radically change this world. We can prostrate ourselves before the Lord. Get before God. Get, get in your position. Be a good soldier. As Paul would tell Timothy, come on, pick up your weapon. Stand the ground. Arm yourself, not with weapons of this world, but weapons from the Holy Spirit. Come on. 